just to let everyone know, this is make sure that you know what program you're in. This is a SASE program on haptics communication. Um, Katie, if you'd like to give the uh, CEU code for the beginning. Absolutely. So good afternoon. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good afternoon. My name is Katie Frederick. I will be your Zoom facilitator for this session. And for those who have registered to receive continuing education credits for the ACB conference and convention, the opening code for this session is 04C as in Charlie, F as in Foxtrot, E as in Echo. Again, the opening CEU code is 04 Four, the letter C as in Charlie, F as in Foxtrot, E as in Echo. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Katie. Okay, I am Karen Campbell. I am one of the co-chairs of the SAFI committee. SAFI stands for Sight and Sound Impaired. Um, Carl Richardson out of Massachusetts is my co-chair. I doubt he will be here today as he, uh, I believe, had a conflict. He also co-chairs the Audio Description Project Committee. So, and I would also like to recognize my committee, Bill Jones from Georgia, Becky Dunkerson, Iowa, Lori Sharp, Virginia, Margie DeMars, Tennessee, Phyllis Burson, Maryland, um, Chris uh, Despero, Arizona. Uh, I think I got everybody. It's the danger of doing something like that. Oh, and Megan Conway, who you will hear from out of California, who you will hear from in a moment. Um, I just want to thank those people for their um, for their work this past year, and we have we did a community call in June, and we hope to do we hope to do some more in the uh, year to come. So probably at least once a quarter at this point. So stay tuned on that. And with that, I would like to turn it over to Megan Conway for her to introduce our speaker. Okay. Hi there, everyone. This is Megan Conway. I am a research and accessibility specialist with the Helen Keller National Center and also a member of the SASE committee, as Karen said. It is my pleasure today to introduce Ryan Odland. Ryan Odland was recently appointed to the Minnesota Commission for the Deaf, Hard of Hearing, and Deafblind. He is a regional representative for the Helen Keller National Center, representing the North Central Region, serving six states, including Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio, and Wisconsin. Ryan previously worked as a vocational rehabilitation counselor with Minnesota State Services for the Blind. Ryan, who is deafblind with Usher syndrome subtype one, 
holds a bachelor degree in psychology from Rochester Institute of Technology and a master degree in special education from Gallaudet University. He has advocated for deafblind awareness and program development at local, state, and national levels. So with that, Brian, you are on the stage. Thank you, Megan, for that. I appreciate being here today to present to you all. Today's haptics communication is the topic for today. And this is empowerment for the deafblind community through touch. Okay, so this afternoon, we will be discussing several topics. Part of haptic communication and how it relates to a deafblind community, what the background is, um, how, what is the structure of how to use haptics, how to convey environmental information to a deafblind consumer, how you can relay the information subtly and allow the deafblind consumer to act on their own autonomy. They can make an informed choice through that information. So now the objectives for this presentation. First, we will discuss haptic communication. What types of environmental information can be relayed through haptics? How it relates to the deafblind consumer's life and how it can be applied personally so that that person can convey their own personal reactions with the information. We also will discuss the standardized um, way to relay environmental information so that that deafblind person receives an, the entire picture of their environment. Now, in regards to access of their environment, that is the goal of haptics, is to increase more information for that consumer, how much information they receive um, through exposure to haptics. Within the deafblind commun community, we know um, that vision loss decreases their level of access to their environment. And that's also true for the blind community as well. So we want to bolster that with haptics. When they have decreased information, we want to allow haptics to be able to build upon that and gain more 
of a solid link to their community. So we will also talk about how haptics benefits the deafblind community with a more gestalt view of who that individual is and how they relate to others in the community and their world. Through communication, through their actions, they will receive a more in-depth picture and view of their environment. So haptics itself increases their autonomy or their self-esteem because they know more of the information in their environment. That depth of connection builds confidence and integration within the community. Deafblind members can take advantage of this access through haptics communication. Okay. Also one more, the last objective. It increases um, the conceptualization or in-depth knowledge that we gain through language and communication. When people are talking with their friends or peers or coworkers, they may um, miss the tone or the intonations of, commu of communication that are not inflected through voice. Those are often lost in interpretation and not necessarily conveyed in the vocabulary or the words. So without the access to environmental information, that person may lose part of the meaning of that conversation and not understand fully what the meaning was. Haptics itself can decrease that gap and lead to a fuller understanding. Okay. So now we will discuss the method of delivery uh, through communication for environmental access information. Deafblind people in general and the blind community as well, even some of those in the hearing community um, and the deaf community, they rely upon different methods of communication, whether it's hearing or sign or spoken language, um, braille even, print access. All of those are ways to receive communication. But with the deafblind com community, touch is essential to receiving exchange of information. And also in discussing the benefits of haptics and the benefits of using touch. We will add several, um, and me, I will add several of my own personal stories and how it's benefited my life. First, in regards to access of information, it has most definitely increased my ability to gain more information and also respond appropriately in time 
and turn take during conversations. So for example, that have the exchange and communication happens in real time and I'm able to follow the conversation or the exchanges more fluidly. Haptics provides access to that connection and is the real heart of the uh, exchange in learning environmental communication in real time can, at that same instance when everybody else has access to the information. Instead of a delayed uh, gap with two or three seconds later, there's not that unnatural pause. I'm able to maintain that, the flow of the conversation. Also, one benefit, the next benefit for that is the discrete capability of exchanging communication. People who don't have access to environmental information, they can glean from others and somebody may interject into a conversation because they are aware of that visually. But a deafblind member might not be aware of that and they would be left out of that exchange unless somebody touched them to cause the interrupt. So a haptic, a haptic symbol can be used to deliver that information. For example, if somebody comes into the room and or leaves the room, the deafblind person will be able to feel um, they have some control over the information being relayed in their environment. Thirdly, as I was mentioning previously about somebody interrupting the conversation and interjecting into there um, when they cause a disruption in the conversation. Somebody can politely let me know by tapping on my back that somebody is raising their hand. They also can use the palm of the hand or the big top of the knee if the person is seated. They can relay that information discreetly through one of those five areas of contact delivery. You have um, the hands also that are used through haptics. Fourth, um, another benefit for the deafblind community is really you can understand levels and gradings of what is being um, uh, the, what is being conveyed, and this leads to a leveling of the playing field, so that each person has the same access of communication at that time. They have. The ability to control the information that they are taking in and also conveying. Lastly, another benefit is reduction in misunderstandings. Uh, you know, it, misunderstandings are important and you want the conversation to flow. So you want to increase the level of content awareness and what in the context of the conversation, what the meaning is, the foundations for the sentence, um, and then what is conveyed during that conversation. In my experience, 
many, many situations that has happened. So the benefits of our connection, for example, with family and children, it increases awareness. It helps them understand, you know, for example, my children, what to do and their behavior and their facial expressions, how they're acting with us. And then that explains how we respond within the environment. And that is brings about an inclusive environment. Instead of just sitting back and waiting for the next thing to happen or the next person to say something to me. No, I am included in the conversation. So I'm aware of what's up, what's happening, and I'm able to make decisions as the father. So I feel that that is uh, a very important role for me, and I want to be fully involved in that, and especially those decisions as they relate to my children. That's one example. Okay. All right, and the next slide I have. Okay, now we will be discussing the background and a little bit of the history of haptics itself. So during the time of humans itself, all humanity, I don't know really, you know, the specific point in timeline when this was developed. However, Touch communication has existed as humanity has for different reasons. Um, and it's had different benefits to communication through social peers and how we communicate and react to each other. And that's the, we are objects within the environment that we relate to. You could say it's in the home environment or the family environment. It could be through professional arena, such as work or colleagues. Maybe you're relating to service providers. Haptics really is a form of technology. It's a technique that has been used throughout the years. This is a formalized, standardized, way of communicating and it was developed in Norway in the 1990s um, by the blind community there, deaf-blind community also, and it was developed there as a system of communication. Before that, previously, we did have some levels of touch communication that applied to our lives. We had used for many years, several centuries, I would say. But we didn't have it concreted and documented until the 90s. The haptic system is standardized 
And this is done through documentation and research with each symbol as signals that relates through um, how we convey information. Uh, the environmental information that is given to the receiver from the provider. And that will be more of a discussion later about the signals. There are 103 that we have documented um, in our book. Understand that some people also create their own and add more. Um, and those are uh, different customized to individuals and they use that to benefit them specifically in their environment. The book has 103. Okay. So you might be thinking, how did it get to America? The Helen Keller National Center helped bring it to America. And then that is a national organization that works with the deafblind community. We started developing a translation of the haptics book into um, to fit American culture and the English language and also incorporating ASL also. And it, we added our American values and unique things for language. We used money from a grant that Helen The, uh, the Hellman Health Helmsley Foundation. We used that grant money to develop the book, to translate that and completely bring it to American edition from Norway. The team from Norway came here and taught the group of 12 beginners. And these were trainers from Helen Keller. They themselves were deaf-blind individuals. And then we did a train-the-trainer model where we taught others. We used the book. It is available online through Amazon, Kindle, and iBooks, of course. So it is available in all three of those formats. Most recently, just within the last month, um, we have released a new app. That is for uh, the phone, and it can be downloaded. The name is Haptics Co. Haptic Co with a dash, H-A-P-T-I dash C-O. And that provides access to the 
signals, the information through haptics, how to convey that information. It's very exciting how it's evolved and spreading and growing more throughout our nation. And we're going to switch interpreters. And Karen, while they're um, switching interpreters, we also... Go ahead, Katie. Um, while they're switching interpreters, we do have a hand up. Would you like to take that now or wait? Um, let's see. I'd probably like, like to uh, wait till the end of the presentation. Okay. This is Ryan speaking. I'll go ahead and continue. So as I was saying, we worked with the team from Norway to develop haptics, the translation into English, as well as to create this book. Now, some of the translation examples, let me give you an example. In Norway, they would describe some of the signals, but unfortunately the description didn't really fit with American Sign Language hand shapes. They weren't commonly used in American Sign Language for people who were born deaf and are considered sign language users and perhaps lost their vision later. So, and as I'm sure everyone is familiar, there are many ways that deafblind people communicate. So there are a, a group of people who are ASL users that, are consider, that consider themselves deafblind. There are deafblind people who consider themselves oral and use spoken language. There are people who both use sign language but also use spoken English to speak. And we wanted to be able to provide information for people who were either born deaf and blind or went deaf or blind later in life. Um, because people have different, there's a different impact on communication if you are born deaf blind as, to, as opposed to being um, deaf and blind later in life. And so when we were looking at the haptics, we were looking at the way that people understood language, whether they were con considered signers as their primary mode of communication or whether they were using spoken language. So what we found was that the way it was described in the Norwegian edition was confusing for the general. So we needed to make some adjustments in order for the American deafblind community who are going to be able to use this book. Now, as an example, the sign orange in Norwegian sign language is a sign where you take the palm of your hand and then almost with the other hand, you take your index finger and slide it across the palm of the other hand. In American sign language, that looks like worm, which we certainly did not want to confuse people by <laughs> to use that sign. So we, so we didn't want people to use that sign. So we 
adapted those signs and used the sign, let's say, for orange in American Sign Language, which looks almost like someone is squeezing an orange to get the juice out. That's sort of the etymology of that sign. And so therefore, it, that made more sense to the larger population of American deafblind users that were using that we're going to be using haptics. Now, where we placed that sign for orange was on the the side of the the side of the um, forearm, right? The side of you know between your shoulder and your elbow, and squeeze it just as if you were squeezing that uh, you're squeezing that orange. I mean, you're not going to squeeze too tight someone's muscle for sure, but it is almost like you're squeezing an orange. So if you can imagine, these are the adaptations that were required in order for the American deafblind community to understand and more easily access haptics, right? We weren't going to continue with the sign that everyone knows for worm to talk about um, the color orange. That just would not work. So those, that's just an example of the kind of translation activities we had to do to create this new English uh, language version. So we developed and edited it and made it easier for people to, um, to acquire the haptic system, to be able to communicate using haptics. People would be able to learn it at home and be able to use it at home. They would be able to use it in their workplace, maybe even at school and within the community. It really can be used in many different ways and in many different locations. Next, I'd like to talk about what haptics actually means. So let me get to the heart of what haptics is and who it is for. Haptics is a system. It is a system of signals. These signals provide information which relate to the environmental information it can be with regard to emotions, uh, perhaps color, shape. It can be about the location or the layout of an environment, such as a room. It can give information on directionality, whether things are to the right or to the left or moving forward. It can give you information on grading, whether something, whether you're moving ascending or descending, and also with regard to specifics of that, whether it ascends very, um, very quickly or whether it descends very quickly. It could give you information about whether uh, temperature, whether something is cold or hot. There are signals that relate to animals. Some other signals relate to food and drink. And these would help deafblind people <clears throat> identify these, the, the, their environment and also make decisions about food, as an example. Let, let's say for an example, you're at an event where there is a buffet table with lots of different tray tables of food. If a deafblind person wants to know what all of the different foods are in order to make a decision about what they are going to eat, they need to know that the deafblind person can make a decision if they have all of the environmental information. 
So the provider for haptics would be able to give information about what that information is. Is it meat? And specifically, what is it? So is it chicken? <clears throat> and going, they could go down the entire buffet table so that the deafblind person has access to that information in their environment in order to make a decision and be independent. Because let's go back to the goal, and that is that the deafblind person has control of their environment in order to make informed decisions. That is key with the use of haptics. Now, for a person who has vision and hearing loss, they have reduced information about their environment. Haptics means that they can overcome that barrier of that reduced information. And that can allow the deafblind person to be empowered to make decisions about their life from minor decisions like food to much, much more important decisions. But they're able to make all of those decisions if they have the information. So that's sort of the concept behind haptics and, and why it's there. So <clears throat> haptics communication has a specific number of signals. As I've mentioned, the book identifies 103. But it is not limited to what you might find in the book. People can, in real time, make signals for, depending on what their needs are. Haptics itself is structured. It is not abstract. It follows a system. So if you think of the rules of grammar in English, whether you're writing or whether you're using spoken English, there is a particular order that the words must appear in, in order for that sentence to be grammatical. That is true for haptics. There is a sequence to the signals. There are specific shapes in order for, of the signals in order to have a particular meaning about your environment. <clears throat> so those symbols can be repeated for different meanings, right? So the reference signal might be then added to a particular signal and they might have a different meaning. Now, as an example, I just mentioned the sign for orange in American Sign Language is like squeezing an orange to get juice out. For haptics, you would do that same sign, but on the arm, almost as if you're squeezing the person's muscle. That does mean orange. However, <clears throat> are you talking about color or are you talking about the orange juice or an orange? So in order to distinguish that ambiguity, one needs to add a reference signal prior to using the signal for orange. So you would, might use a reference signal for food and then the sign for orange, 
or you might use the signal for color and then the sign symbol for orange, sorry, the signal for orange. And then that person can distinguish between those two and it can clarify any ambiguity there. <clears throat> Again, it gives the deaf blind person more information about their environment. In the, next, um, in the next few slides that I will um, present, I will talk a little bit more about those specific examples of signals. So hold on for that. Once again, haptic is specifically about touch. They are touch cues, if you will. <clears throat> so what we say is that there are there is a place of articulation. Research has shown that there are five places of articulation where haptic signals can be placed. And these are where someone might touch a person. There is the back. There is the shoulder. The shoulder as well as the arm down to the elbow. There are your hands as another place of articulation. Um, I would say maybe describing it as the thigh just above the knee as another place of articulation. And we do have a, a special rule for, um, for respecting people's space and, and, and their body. So the last, the last one would be on their foot. That would be the last place of articulation. And these five areas of articulation are limited. Next, we have the hand shape. So what shape of the hands are you using? Is it a fist? Now, the place of articulation might be the palm of your hand or it might be your shoulder, but what hand shape? because it might be a different signal to put, um, like put all your fingers out, like doing a high five almost, right? If you put that on your shoulder or that touches the palm of your hand, that would be a different signal. We have what are, is called the three hand shape, which is the thumb, the index finger, and the middle finger. You might place that somewhere. We have what you would describe in American Sign Language as the U-shape, which is two fingers, your index and your middle finger up with all your other fingers down. Um, and we might use that for different signs. And you might put that on your shoulder. One example of that would be this um, symbol for uh, the signal for Band-Aid. So there are different hand shapes that one can use to produce haptic signals. As well as the next, um, the next part of haptics is the amount of pressure that is placed when you touch a person. So you can have 
increased pressure, which is a higher intensity. And that would relate to something more tense, let's say. And you'd be providing emphasis. To give an example, um, I would say, let, let's say someone is running. Um, you might see someone using a sign for, for running um, that they're just kind of running for pleasure. But if a person is really running, they're running for their life, if you will, because they're so scared because something happened. That is an in, you'd, you'd hear that intonation in your voice if you were speaking in English, right? That's something more serious. You can hear that there's a difference between running and running. So there is the equivalent in touch. So the pressure would be greater. So if something is light, might be a more relaxing tone, but if something is more serious or more intense, perhaps even more concerning, something you really want someone to pay attention, some, this person to pay attention to, the touch would have more pressure. Okay, let me move on in my notes. I'd like to give some examples of haptic signals now. And I think I'm going to give away that this, this is a way that a deafblind person can access their environment discreetly. People have in American Sign Language their own name signs. This is something that culturally deaf people might do. So with touch and with haptics, we also have signals that can identify the individual that you're communicating with or that is approaching you. So that's an example of how you use haptics. Another would be direction. Um, now, it doesn't necessarily have to be direction like moving, so I don't necessarily mean that, but <clears throat> just visually where one would need to direct any of the vision that they have, any of their vision, where they would need to move their eyes. So of course, this would be for somebody who happens to have some residual vision. They have a limited amount of vision. Um, maybe they have a reduced peripheral field and they can't see outside of that. <clears throat> and so you might use haptics to give them information. Let's say you're outside and there's a bird that's in a tree that's quite interesting. You would be able to get a signal so that the person could then know that their eye gaze needs to move in that direction in order to be able to identify what that, where that bird is. So you'd never ever want to move a person's head in order to be able to move, um, in order to be able to get their gaze in the right direction. This is a much more empowering way that a person can use a haptic signal to direct someone's eye gaze so that they have attention in the right direction. A third way that you could use haptics 
is for the amount, the size, or the volume of something. So we might go from the elbow to the shoulder with, the, with someone's hand on it. Let's say that your elbow would be that there's, it's empty, whereas your shoulder would be that something is completely full. So you'd start at the bottom by your elbow with the, with someone would use their hand. I don't know. Let, let's say you're, you have your hand in like a karate hand shape, if you will. And your, and your, um, your four, uh, your index finger is the one touching your other, your other, um, your other arm. And you'd go slowly up, which would suggest the intensity of something or would suggest that something is getting full so that the volume of something is increasing. When would you use that? You'd let somebody know how much is left of something or how much they want, how, asking somebody how much they want, to, how much you want you, your, their glass to be filled up to. Um, so it's used for measurements, perhaps even in a science, um, in a science context. There are many uses for that particular signal. And once again, it helps deafblind people to be able to guide that, that process, right? So um, if they're adding sugar, let's say, to a cup of coffee and someone's saying, like, I've added this much, they know when they can stop because they know how much sugar is in there. Another use of haptics is to be able to access facial expression, which we know is extremely important. Deafblind people, myself as a deafblind person, I want to know whether the interlocutor that I'm engaged with is smiling, is crying, has a frown, has a face that looks angry, right? Um, because we don't want to continue making a joke, let's say, if a person has a face on that makes them look angry. You don't want to, I think that would only make someone angrier, you would think, right? So as a deafblind person, that gives you an information about the environment. And you might say to yourself, you know what? I got to chill. Stop with the jokes, Ryan. Stop with the jokes. Okay. So it can convey action, whether someone is sitting or standing, whether someone is jumping, perhaps even if somebody is clapping. It will let you know whether somebody is talking or signing. Perhaps if a person in your environment is using the computer or that they're texting. There are a multitude of actions that can be conveyed through haptics. As a presenter, when I am presenting, I like to know if my audience is paying attention or whether they're falling asleep. <laughs> I want to have that information. I want to know that my audience is paying attention. I, that gives me information about whether my presentation is effective or whether it's boring. And I can make tweaks to my presentation based on the amount of participation. I mean, that's my job as a presenter is to entertain and engage the audience, right? Another use for it. 
setting up the logistics in a room. Say I were to enter a room. Perhaps I'm at a, an event I have not been to before. I would like to know how the room is set up. Are the chairs set up in a circle? Are there many tables that are round and are set up individually in, in circles? Uh, is it a classic situation where there are rows and rows of chairs, almost like pews at church? How many chairs are there? I want to know what the setup is. I'd like to know how many people are already sitting because perhaps I want to sit next to a friend, but when I get there, I don't know who is, who is there. So I want to know who's already in the room. My provider would be able to give me that information if they were to recognize who's in the room. If not, they might need be able to give me a description of the people in the room so that I can make a decision about where I want to sit, right? So a provider can actually draw the logistics of the room on my back and give me that information so that I can make a decision about where I will, how I will engage in that room. And that will maximize the access that I have to the, all of the information. And it would make me feel more engaged with that particular event and what's happening. Maybe based on the information my provider gives me, I'm gonna sit in the back of the room and hide. But maybe I want to sit right in the front and where I have better access to the interpreters. Maybe I know that there's different seats available. And so I would want to be able to choose the seat closest to the interpreter that's most comfortable. Or maybe I want to sit closer or farther away from groups of people. I'm only able to make those decisions with information about my environment. Where are the windows in the room? Do I want to sit farther away from them? Maybe there are refreshments in the room that I don't have visual access to. So I want to be able to, I mean, there aren't any refreshments in the conferences we've had lately, right? They've all been on Zoom. But as an example, we've probably remembered those conferences with refreshments. I want to have information to all of the environmental. All right. Okay, we can continue now. The interpreters have switched. So this has been a general overview, the big picture of haptics and what haptics can do for the deafblind community. There are many, many different ways to use haptics and to take advantage of that full information to um, bolster your access within your community. Really, haptics has been used in many various situations. It can be used one-on-one. -on -one. 
It can be uh, used with colleagues, with my peer, with my children, with group situations, in the education environment, at schools, within the classroom. Uh, you can use it in a science classroom, a math classroom, even in PE or gym. You know, it can be applied in various situations. And you can just imagine the, the possibilities are limitless to help the students become more aware and more included within their uh, public classroom. You know, if somebody is doing a presentation out in the general public even, um, they will be more aware um, of their confidence, for example, through public speaking and how to develop um, rapport and how to develop their re reaction within their environment. It increases their level of exposure to different experiences also. Within the workplace, I use haptics. Um, I use haptics to help me identify many, uh, many items. For example, in a meeting, when I'm running a meeting, uh, we may have, you know, five, six, seven folks sitting around uh, chatting within the meeting and I'm running the meeting using haptics. The interpreter can let me know in that situation, of course, um, what is happening and the information may be conveyed on my back um, and they would let me know the touch signals as to what is going on through the participants in the meeting. For example, if someone raises their hand, who it is, what's their comment, who's speaking and turn taking throughout the meeting. Um, I will be aware of each person and not miss who is speaking and what they've said. If somebody left the meeting, for example, they had to leave in the hurry to go to the bathroom, I would be aware without interrupting it. If someone knocked on the door, I could respond appropriately in that situation and handle it and not be depending upon someone else uh, to wait to handle that situation. I would be aware of that. What is happening automatically, instantaneously, during the meeting. Through social events, we would be able to have access through haptics. I've used uh, haptics uh, through events within the community. What's happening, who is in the community or who is in that environment, uh, who is in the room during the event, I could take that opportunity to chat with that person through sign language or, you know, using uh, spoken language and be aware of that conversation. The, per the provider would be able to be behind me and let me know the information and I could react appropriately, whether it was through shock or laughter or, um, you know, even sad eyes or a smiley face, I would be able to be uh, included fully in the dialogue. One-on-one, -on -one, you can use haptics uh, to increase information while you're talking. For example, instead of stopping the conversation, um, for a person who's fully blind, possibly, and they 
can't catch the facial expressions of the conversation. You know, if, if the person was talking and then the other dialogue person within the dialogue was slow to respond and was droning on, you know, they wouldn't be aware of what's happening and wouldn't have the whole story. So they would miss part of it, whether it was the joke or they, they wouldn't know of the misunderstanding of the other person's facial expressions during that exchange. Uh, even if the person was making very broad facial expressions over demonstrative, they wouldn't be aware of that. And they would miss that <clears throat> during the dialogue. So haptics could be used then to, again, show the, uh, show the full meaning during that exchange. And that leads to empowerment of that, that person receiving haptics. And we can discuss the roles of the exchanges and how that works. <clears throat> so during the haptic exchange, there are two roles. There is a provider and then the receiver. The deafblind person tends to be the receiver. They are getting the information conveyed. The provider relays the environmental information. It could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a support service provider or an SSP. It could be a you know personal care attendant or assistant. It could be an interpreter. Understand though the interpreter is going to be focused on the language communication translate interpreting from ASL to English, not necessarily 100% to haptics at that time. The role is different. But they could add uh, haptics because that makes the exchange a little bit easier uh, during that communication. And it places the person on the same level in the, the communication exchange. And it helps the topic be conveyed. So again, the priority in haptics, the most, the top priority should be, of course, safety. You know, if there's an emergency situation, um, you would want your provider to let you know instantaneously what is happening. If a person, for example, was at a social event and it was you know they were dressed up it was a very festive event they were wearing clothes with different colors and somebody came in with you know very just uh, elaborate uh, outfit and they came within the meeting uh, but the person had limited vision and they could only focus on the facial features and that outfit wasn't really uh, appropriate for the workplace and they missed that how would they handle that situation the deafblind consumer could raise their hand 
and would be able to want to know more information or discreetly ask what was in that situation and they could handle it. So that would be the priority um, to get, to give, offer that information. And it's up to the receiver to determine what they want and what type of information to can be conveyed. They would explain that. And it's very important to let the provider know so that they're not bombarded with information. They have to make the decision for what is the priority of information they want to receive. So the provider and the receiver ha have a discussion about that and they set up the boundaries as to what types of signals they want to be used during the exchange. So the key for communication is to have a partnership for the provider and the receiver to work out and work in tandem and have a discussion of what they will what they will require and what are the reference signals that they will be using during that exchange. So in regards to reference signals, they are used to establish the topic of what's next. There are nine reference signals. The first one is food. Second is drink. Thirdly, we have emotions. And then letters, printed letters, they like the alphabet. You also have numbers. Number six is a personal identifier. It's used to explain the person's uh, body shape or uh, hair color or, you know, if they have a broad mustache or if they're wearing glasses, those characteristics of personal identification. Number seven is grouped uh, with animals. And then eight is within the room, the room layout. And then nine wraps up with colors. So those are the nine reference signals. So during this kind of Zoom conference, it's not the best way for me to be able to show them and display the signals, but you are welcome to download the PowerPoint for more information on that. And that will be um, more for your benefit later as you can uh, glean information from that and get the basic idea of some of the signals. For example, with drink, you would take your hand as you are grasping a cup, wrap it around the cup, and then you would place that on the forearm below the shoulder. 
so that C shape of cup, as if you were holding a cup, imaginary cup in your hand, you would rotate that uh, on the arm as if you were pouring the cup. And that movement of pouring the cup on the arm would identify to the consumer that you are talking about a drink. And so that, that rotation of holding a cup and turning it would be, help them identify. Food. Food is your hand is in a fist, but you open your fingers in a circle and almost like your mouth is chewing. So you would place that against your arm and uh, open and close in a circle those fingers. So your fingers are kind of like your teeth as they close, open and close and chewing. And that would be done below the shoulder also. For room identification, you would draw the square, possibly on the person's back. You could use two fingers, your pointy fingers, uh, and you would draw the shape on the back, almost like a movie screen. And you would draw that starting from the beginning at the base of the back below possibly the bra line and go up the back with your two fingers to draw a big square or rectangle. So that's some of our information. It's not a very in-depth uh, presentation of the signals today, but it helps give you a brief information about the hand shapes that are used and the references that are used, and they're connected to that. Let's see. Oh, sorry, I had a light flashing. Uh, I think I have an alarm going off <laughs> during the meeting. Sorry about that. That's interesting. Okay, so let me back up. And also with directions. When in relation to left, right, or straight forward, the hand shape would be a flat hand and you would use the side of your palm. You could use that against the back or in the direction. If you are walking with a person and you want them to proceed to the right, you would use that hand across their back or across their shoulder to move them in the direction. So it would be towards the right or towards the left. You would do the same flat hand uh, on the side of the index finger. Um, and you could do that straight forward for them to maintain the path in going forward. But many people don't do that going backwards. You wouldn't want to do that, of course. Most of the time, you <laughs> it might cost somebody to get hurt if they're going backwards because the, the provider would be standing behind them. You don't want to have a collision there. So we don't use that for directionality when they're going backwards. And it depends upon the situation. You also can use a grasp on the shoulder as a stop to let the person know for safety to stop. Understand with directions, it doesn't replace orientation mobility or cane usage or a dog, not at all. This is just for further assistance. This is uh, basic guiding. 
um, like only around the room and when you're going through a crowded restaurant, just navigating through there. Um, for example, if, uh, you know, business is, or you're doing a business presentation on stage and you have to walk across the stage, you want to be aware of where the steps are and the provider can go with you behind you so that you are the first person they see, not the provider. So it does not, again, replace orientation mobility or cane usage or cane travel or with a dog. Okay, this is Karen. If we could, if we could, I hate to do this to you, but if we could conclude, I would like to be able to take a few questions. Oh, yes, okay. All right, All right. do we want, do we want questions? We have several hands. Okay. Let's, let's All right. Start so with it. Jay Kramer, you should be allowed to talk. Hi. Um, I hope you can hear me. Yes, we can. We can. Okay. Um, I wish I had had this presentation when I was younger and working uh, because I did have a personal assistant. Um, and I think this would have been a great thing because I was a special ed teacher. But and I'm also a rubella baby, but I am not. One of my questions is, without my two hearing aids, I am almost profoundly deaf, but I am not, I'm on the borderline of being classified as deaf blind. Any recommendations she would have? And if she could repeat the name of the book that uh, she recommended, uh, that would be great. And thank you for a wonderful presentation. Sure, this is Ryan speaking again. Thank you for your question. The book is called Haptics Communication American Edition. So you can type that in uh, to Amazon and you should pull that up. Also, it's in iBook or maybe you prefer um, a hard copy. You can get that from HKNC, the Helen Keller National Center. Uh, Karen could possibly get that information for you. She's on the committee and has that information connected to us. All right, Linda, you should be unmuted. Are you there, Linda? Hello. There you are. All there right, are. hi. Um, I'm really new to this. Um, everything because um, I was born legally blind. Um, I'm a low partial and I lost my hearing like I'm, I'm in my early 70s and I lost my hearing, a lot of my hearing um, in my 60s. And so I don't know where to start with this. Um, I'm from Massachusetts and um, 
I'm a, I'm a client of uh, DeafBlind, um, uh. DBCAN, DeafBlind. Deaf <laughs> Hello, I got to turn my speech off just a second. Uh. There. Hi, hi, hi. Okay, so what I want to know is, um, I feel completely lost a lot of times, not seeing what's going on, not hearing what's going on. People don't want to repeat things. Is And I'm in my 70s. Is it too late to learn how to use this technology and how much does it cost, et cetera? And how do I, you know, uh, if you would email me the my answers, if there's no time, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Thank you, Linda. Really, the biggest question I think here is how do individuals get communication? And how what is the impact on their lives? It's so different at times. So you do have to practice. Uh, haptics and it does reduce that misunderstanding and it adds more information more environmental information for you and it definitely adds clarity to what's being spoken it also bridges the gap and includes others in the communication we're able to follow the context or the content more uh, develop more thoroughly and through through language. All right. Okay. Any Bill, more question? Yes, Bill, you should be allowed to talk. Awesome. Yes, really good presentation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a. I'm blind myself, but also no one am. And you know, we work, and I work around a lot of people who are deaf blind. And you know, one thing is when we uh, switch between you know SSPs and things like that. Uh, I was wondering if there was a good way of creating a way to say, okay, hey, this is Bill taking over. You know, we you know we all have our ASL sign names, but you know, like that doesn't really transfer when you're especially when you're just going on the back, like. Okay, this is what's going on. <laughs> so do you know of a good way to, you know, let people know who, who is who when you're talking to them? You know, I did the haptic training of doing like, you know, you know the basic O&M haptic training on the back, but that's as much as I, you know, know. <laughs> Thank you. This is Ryan. Thank you for that question. There are many different ways to identify who is talking uh, and who is in the room and conveyed on the layout is one way. Um, you can point to individuals on the back after the room is laid out. For example, you draw the you know person sitting at the table across from you. And then you would refer to that reference point if it was on my left or my right. Uh, the provider would let me know 
uh, that point of reference. And then I would know from that time who is speaking, where I am, and then the person to my right or to my left would be the person speaking next to me. And they would follow through and use that. Um, uh, another, use that option, or you could use the person's initials and you could write those on the back uh, through like print on palm, except for you would draw the letters on the back. For me, it would be an R and an O. They would draw on the person's back to let them know when I was talking. Um, and then they would use their finger to draw R-O, and then the person would know, oh, there's Ryan again, he's mm -hmm. talking. So um, you would want to ask the receiver what method they prefer, what's the best approach for them to identify who is speaking in the environment. Mm -hmm. All um, right, and Karen, that's all we're gonna have time for. Sorry, that's a short one. answer. <laughs> okay. I, I, I do have I the... Oh, yeah, I, I'll get that for, for, from you in a second. I want to thank Ryan. Ryan, I want to thank you very much for this presentation. It was uh, informative, and hopefully people got something out of it. With that, All right. With that, Katie, co ending code, please. Absolutely. So the ending code for today, for those of you receiving CEU credits, is the numbers five, three, five, two, the letter A as in Apple. So again, that closing CEU code for those of you who are registered to receive those credits is five, three, five, two, the letter A as in Apple. And thank you all so much. And thank you, Katie, for facilitating. Absolutely. Have a great day, everyone. You too.